We are going to be looking at Titus 1, 1 through 4. Uh, the next two weeks, this morning, will primarily be in verse number 1. And so in just a moment, we want to read these four verses uh, together to start our um, series as far as being in the book of Titus. Pastor Adam gave us an overview last week to kind of direct our mind about the background and the heart of Paul. And uh, this will be really the introduction, in a sense, to the book uh, as far as what Paul's going to be passionate about through the rest of the book, and that is uh, the pursuit of purity within the church, that a pure church is a church of gospel-engaged individuals. But as I get up here, it's kind of like one of those exhale moments because uh, there's a lot of things going on for me today, so I feel like I have a lot going on in my mind. And sometimes, I don't know if you ever get like this, but... I start to feel like maybe I'm getting old, I'm forgetting things, um, things that I shouldn't forget. I didn't forget Valentine's Day this week, but uh, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that, I remember that. It reminds me of uh, three ladies, three sisters in their 90s living in the same house, uh, and the oldest sister started to turn the water on for their bath. As the tub's filling up, she stepped into the tub and... She paused, and then she yelled, was I getting into the tub, or was I getting out of the tub? And the middle sister yelled up as she heard this, I'll be right up uh, and, and tell you once I get up there. So she starts heading up the stairs, and she gets about halfway up, and she pauses, and then she yells, was I going down the stairs, or was I coming up the stairs? And this last youngest sister was sitting in the kitchen, and she's overhearing what, what, what's going on with her sisters, and she says, I hope I never get as forgetful as my sisters. And knock on wood, right, for good measure. And she yells, hold on, I'll be right up to help both of you, but first I need to answer the door. Uh, sometimes that's how I feel like. Uh, what am I thinking? What's going on in my mind? And so this morning I am praying just for, for a clear mind, uh, for the Holy Spirit to be at work through his word, through the things that he's laid on my heart this morning. And I hope if you're feeling somewhat like that, that we can sort of push, push out those other distractions, those extra things, and just come to receive what the Lord would have for us this morning. Um, but let me read for us the first four verses here in Titus Titus 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in the, in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's once again go to prayer. Father, we need your help this morning. We recognize as we just sang that you are the everlasting God. Your kingdom reigns forever forever. 
And as believers, we have the great joy and privilege of being part of that kingdom, a kingdom that will last through all of eternity. You've called us into this church, not as a, not as a club, not as just a group of people that have uh, some earthly things in common, but our commonality, our common bond is in Christ. You've called us out as your people, set apart, redeemed in Christ for your glory. And so we pray this morning that this church, this local church would be a pure church. This church would be a church whose heartbeat is the message of the gospel, the good news for this world, the good news for our daily lives. And so would you set aside the distractions in our mind? Would you open our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear and, and hearts to obey what you're calling us to be and to do this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you imagine yourself coming to the end of your life, some of you might think about this more often than, than others, but if you can picture yourself coming to the end of your life and then having to write down in a letter, okay, what you're going to leave to your children, what you want to say to them, what your final words would be, what would you write? My guess would be you tell them how much you love them, uh, how much you care about them, how much they've meant to you, but I, but I think as I would write, I would begin to kind of scan the history of my life and start to think, what are the things that I want them to remember? What are the things that I want my kids to prioritize in their own life? What are the things that I've learned? What has been important to me as I come to the end of my life that I want to pass this down to my children? And this is exactly where we find the Apostle Paul. And as Adam has laid out already last week, the background of this book, we really boil it all down to this church planter, this early church missionary who's coming to the end of his life and he's burdened for the churches that have been established. He's burdened for his children in the faith like Titus, like Timothy, and he writes these letters, he writes this particular letter to Titus because he wants to, he wants to make sure that the churches that have been established in the gospel continue forward in the same truth. So he writes to Titus, his son in the faith, with a focus on what is most important, Titus, for you to consider. What, what is most important for this church in this island of Crete to consider, to prioritize in their life. In verse number one, Paul quickly tells us what his focus of his ministry has been about, what he has been prioritizing in his life since he became a follower of Jesus Christ. You'll notice in that second phrase in verse number one, it says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Paul says, this is, this is what I'm all about. This is why I've been doing what I've been doing. This is why I've been serving the way I've been serving. This is why I'm even writing this letter to you, Titus, because I'm concerned about the faith of God's elect, those who have been called out and chosen, and I'm concerned about their growth in the knowledge of this faith, the knowledge of the truth. 
Now, if we can quickly summarize this word, these words faith here and truth are referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul qualifies this faith as being the faith of God's elect, God's election, his choosing of his people to himself is found throughout the pages of history. You just went through, we just went through as a church, the, the calling of his people out of Egypt. God has set, it, set apart a people for himself. And the object of this of the faith of God's elect is none other than Jesus Christ himself. God is electing, he's choosing, he's calling people out by faith in Christ to be his own. This is Paul's heartbeat. And so it's Jesus, this perfect God-man, who willingly gave his life on the cross for our sin, even though he was completely holy, did not deserve to die, but he died in our place. And so then this forgiveness of sins and this receiving of Jesus' holiness and his righteousness comes solely by faith. This is the faith that Paul is describing, the faith of God's elect. And so all of the elect of God have this common belief, this common faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is what bonds our church together, the elect of God. And this faith begins at conversion, but as believers we mature. This is the progression of Paul's language here. That not just the, the initial faith of God's elect, but their continual growth in the knowledge of the truth, in the knowledge of this gospel. So they're growing. Paul's concern is that they are growing, that we are growing in this knowledge of the truth, the only truth, Jesus Christ himself. Isn't this how Jesus describes himself in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth and the life. This gospel then is not just the good news that brings us into the chosen family of God, that brings us into eternal life, but it's the truth by which we now live our lives as we grow deeper into this understanding of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We move deeper into the the understanding and knowledge of the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done for us and who we are in Christ. Paul's going to describe this gospel in chapter 2 and verses 11 to 14. And these are really the theme verses of our our sermon series. But you'll notice in chapter 2, and I just want to step through these verses, we'll preach on them uh, at another time later in the series. But it talks about this gracious God who's bringing salvation for all people, right? Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. This is, this is the truth that Paul wants Titus to, to ground this church further in. This is the truth that he wants us to be passionate about as a people, as a church. 
It's what his priority is on as he begins this letter to Titus. And so as he lays out what is needed for a healthy church, what is needed for a pure church, he never strays from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He never strays from this good news. In fact, it's all moving into, deeper into this glorious truth of salvation by faith in Christ alone and what he's done for us. And this brings us to the theme of our series. It's on, it's on the screen behind us. And can we say this together this morning? A pure church is a church of gospel-engaged individuals. Now, maybe it doesn't need to be worth saying, but I'm, I'm going to say it, and it's going to be the, really the premise of the next two sermons, this week and next week, that a church of gospel-engaged individuals is a church that has its priority on the gospel. The gospel becomes our priority. It is our priority. If we're going to be engaged in this message, if we're going to be growing in this knowledge of the truth, we're going to be prioritizing it in our life. So this morning, we want to look at the priority of the gospel. And really, we want to ask this question. Why? Why should it be a priority? Why is it Paul's priority? We have several points in the first four verses, but this morning we will only look at one. So let's just jump in. Number one, why have a priority of the gospel in your own life, in this church? One, number one, our identity rests in the gospel. Notice how Paul describes himself in verse number one. There's two ways. We're going to talk about one first. Paul, a servant of God. This word servant here, literally the word slave. Paul, a slave of God. This is the first thing that he says about himself. The way letters were written back then, a little different than the way we would write today. But the, the writer in that time would put his name at the beginning. And any descriptive qualifications or anything that, that would be needed to identify who this writer is, they would put at the beginning of the letter. Today, when do we sign our name? We sign our name at the end, right? So if Paul was writing today, let's say he was writing an email, he would sign off, Paul, a slave of God. This is how he saw himself. Think about that. He saw himself as a slave. This word slave is a kind of a loaded word in our culture today, and it does carry with it, even in this context, the idea of being controlled by someone, the idea of being owned by someone. Sometimes this was voluntary, sometimes this was involuntary. And there, there could be certain positive elements to this word. But in reality, we can't really spin this word in too much of a positive light. Because no one wants to be owned by somebody else. I mean, you can't get around that. Yes, maybe there was some security at some level, for some slaves, and they had good masters. 
But this is not a glamorous word. It's not a word that I would pick to identify myself as. Hey, I'm a slave. That's who I am. But here, even though freedom was highly regarded in Paul's day, just like it is today, Paul gladly, even joyfully, describes himself as a slave. A slave of God. God is fully, completely, and totally his Lord and Master. This language is right, in, right along with what we just read in chapter 2, verse 14, which describes God as purifying a people, notice the language here, for his own possession. Christians, believers, if that's how you identify yourself this morning, you are God's possession. He owns you. He owns me. We are his slaves. Paul, inspired by God, uses this word slave, not like a shock, not a shock in all things, but because it fits the reality of who we are as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20, Paul describes, Paul's writing again, and he, he says this to the believers in Corinth, you are not your own. You're not your own person. You're not free to do whatever you want. In chapter 7, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians, Paul just says this, you were bought with a price. You're bought as a possession. 1 Peter, chapter 2, now Peter is writing and he describes Christians as a people that have been set apart for God's own possession. So it's not just Paul that's using this language. In fact, Peter, James, John, Jude, all identify themselves with this word, slave, slave of God, as they write their books of the New Testament. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are slaves of God. He's our master. He's our Lord. I, I don't know how, there's no other way to like sugarcoat this. He owns us. We are not our own. Because we have been bought. Now, your reaction might be, well, hold on here. I don't like this whole idea of being owned by someone. I don't like this whole idea of being someone's slave. In fact, if that's what Christianity is about, count me out. Okay? I get it. I understand where that line of thinking might come into play. But there's more to this story. Because it's not either be a slave of God or be free. That's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what we know to be the truth in our own life. It's not, hey, I can be a slave of God, owned and possessed by Him, or I can be free, my own person. Here's the reality it's either be a slave of God, or it's be a slave of sin. Jesus says this in John 8, 34, everyone who commits sin, notice the phrasing, is the slave of sin. Paul discusses this at great length in Romans chapter 6, and I'll just give you one verse in Romans 6, verse 16. Paul says this, do you not know 
that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, here's the either or, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience or slaves to God, which leads to righteousness. So rejection of Christianity, rejection of Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that you're free. Far from the case. It means that you are in bondage to sin. And this bondage only ever leads to death. Never to life. It's never freedom to be, to be separate from Christ, to reject this message. And so what is our only hope? Our only hope is Jesus. He's it. This is why Paul is prioritizing this message of the gospel because Jesus is all that we have. And so our holy God sees us in our helpless state as slaves bound in sin. And he steps into this world to pay sin's penalty. He rises again, shattering the chains of sin to set us free from the bondage of sin. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14, and I know I'm throwing some other verses at you here, but Hebrews 2 verse 14 says this, though through death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil. And notice what the end phrase says, and delivered all who were subject to lifelong slavery. And so because of the gospel's work in Paul's life, he understood that he was freed from sin. He was bought with the precious blood of Christ, and Christ became sin for him. And Paul became righteous, and as a result, he is forever indebted to God. A slave. Sounds a lot like the song that we sang at the end, a debtor to mercy. Two thoughts, just in, in thinking about this idea of slavery, because I, I do want to be, to be clear. Human slavery is not okay. We, we would never condone slavery, what's happened in the history of our, our own country, what hap has happened in Europe, in Africa, and happens all around the world even today. We don't condone that. If you want to read a good uh, story, a life of someone who was a slave owner, read John Newton. John Newton ends up writing the hymn that many of you know, Amazing Grace. And John Newton, as a slave trader, uh, he, he recognized that sin and then began to fight against it. That's all I'll say about that. But we have no claim over someone else. We would never condone something like that. Number two, though, and I do want to be clear here, slavery to God is not a burden. Slavery to God is a delight. Yes, absolutely, we died to ourselves. We are owned by him. But in being a slave to God, we gain true life. We are free to live a life that is in full harmony, full relationship with the one true God, the creator so you're not just any slave, but you're slave to the king, the king whose kingdom will reign forever. You're slave to the Lord of lords, and it is a delight. This is why Paul describes himself like this right up front. 
This is where Paul's identity was. I'm not my own, but I'm a slave to God. Secondly, we see how Paul describes himself in that next phrase. Not only is he a slave, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means a delegate, it means a messenger, it means someone who's been called out and sent on mission. And Paul was identifying himself, I think, in maybe two ways, okay? Um, Two, one, he was identifying himself alongside of the, the original 12 apostles, the 12 disciples that walked with Jesus, that talked with Jesus, that ministered alongside of Jesus. He was part of a unique um, uh, function within the early church there, establishing the gospel throughout the world, establishing the church. In fact, it's said of the apostles that they were part of the foundation of the church as it began after Jesus rose again and was seated at the right hand of God. But also, I think in just a general sense, Paul's identifying himself as as a messenger of Jesus, which is how all Christians, all believers in Christ are identified this way. You and I are messengers. We are delegates. We are called out and we are sent on mission. We'll talk about mission next week a little more, in a little more detail. But this is true for any of us. You and I are his delegates. We're his messengers. We've been called out, not just, not just to come here and worship him in this building, but we're called out for a purpose to be sent out to be ambassadors for Christ and so when we, we relinquish control of our lives, when we, we submit to our master, we are now his messengers. We are now his delegates for Jesus Christ. Paul identifies himself in two ways to start this letter. And both times he places himself under the authority and direction of God. First, he says, look, I'm a slave, and I am a slave of God, and I am an apostle. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and God the Father being one and the same. Paul saw no difference. It's the same for us this morning. As Paul, so are we, and we find as he found his identity was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is, how, this is what he identifies himself with. Now, Paul was being used by God in ways that some of us might only dream of. I mean, Paul was, was an amazing guy. And, and, and the way the Lord used him in a very unique way it was just spectacular. I mean, he... How many churches did he found? How many people came to know Christ under his ministry? We will never know. Paul did some great things for the Lord. But he's not, he's not any different than you and I. He's not any more special than any of us. Okay, but if he was around today, if we, if we put Paul here in 2019, he would... He would I don't know how many Twitter followers he would have, but there would be a lot. 
Uh, his podcast would be some of the most downloaded podcasts out there. He'd be being asked to speak at every conference. Hey, let's get Paul in here. He's an expert. On, I mean, this is the kind of guy that Paul was. This is how the Lord used him. But here's what, here's what is so remarkable about Paul and what we see in his opening phrase. His identity you know, what he real, where he really finds his value, where he really finds his worth in life is not in the things that he's accomplishing. It's not in how many churches that he's seen started. It's not in what he does. It's not in who he used to be, one of the chief of, uh, of the Pharisees. Paul's identity, his value, his worth is firmly planted in the gospel. It's how he sees himself. This is where he finds his worth. This is where he finds his value in Christ. Not in any of the things that he's done. Why? Because outside of Christ, we are nothing. We're nothing. Paul recognized this. Like all these accomplishments, yes, by the grace of God, he's allowed me to do it. But at the end of the day, I'm a slave. I'm an apostle because of what Christ has done for me. This is why Paul's priority is in the gospel, because it's his identity. It's how he sees himself So there's no need to impress others. There's no need to impress God. Whatever successes that Paul has had is by God's grace. And it's through the gospel working in his life. But there's another side to this identity that I think is worth mentioning. Because I I think some of us may be here. I mean, sometimes we boast in our accomplishments. We find our identity in the things that we do, the things that we're able to do. But, but on another side of this coin, think about Paul's past. Paul's past was awful. I mean, he was a murderer of Christians. Like, none of us can, I don't think, can make that claim. But Paul could claim that he murdered countless Christians. He persecuted the church. He hated Jesus Christ and this message of the gospel. He hated them. But Paul, not only does he not identify himself based on his successes, but he doesn't find his identity in his past sin. He doesn't wallow in this This is what I used to be. This is what I have done. And this can never, uh, you know, I can never feel worthy. I can never feel valuable in God's sight. Instead, he knows that he is fully loved. That he's eternally valued by God because of what Jesus has done for him. In dying on the cross. And so finding our identity in this gospel frees us to live a life in full because it allows us to simply live as God's children. Like we're not trying to impress the Father anymore. We're not having to to, to live in this, this horrible state of perpetual guilt, 
feeling like we can never be anything in God's sight. We can never do enough because Christ has already accomplished it for us. And so we're free. We're free to live as children of God. Knowing that we are loved by our Father and that our works, good, bad, otherwise, can never change that love. You are loved, Christian. Christian, you are loved by God in full, not because of what you do, what you did, what you will do, but because of what Christ has already done for you. But here we are this morning. And if you're like me, we brought so many identity idols with us this morning. We create our identity around our careers, around our family, our wealth, our popularity, what our social status is, our beauty, right? Fashion, the trends. Some of us, we create our whole identity by what we wear, what clothing we wear. Like this is who we are. How well we do something. Count me in on that one. If I can do it all. We start creating this identity. We find our value and worth around all these things. And, and you know what? We do a pretty good job of disguising these idols in our, in our lives. You know, we slap labels on like, you know, I'm just a hard worker. I'm just serving the Lord. This is what God's called me to do. This is just how I was raised. Whatever our disguise is, these things that we identify ourselves with are idols nonetheless. And this happens at a church level. It's very easy as a church to start finding our identity in our kids' programs, right? In, in our music, and how tech-savvy we are. And how many big events we have, or how well we do this, or how well we do that. What are we known for as a church? What is our heartbeats? What is our passion? What are we prioritizing? In these identity idols, our value hinges on whatever is happening in these arenas of life. If our career is going good, we're feeling good about ourselves. Right? We, we all have these expectations, whether they're our own, whether they're other people's expectations in our life. And based on how that arena of life is doing, that's how we're feeling. That's how sometimes we think God views us as a success or a failure, as loved or under punishment. You know, I, I, I place sinful expectations on myself just as much as anyone else. I, I, I just get amazed at guys like Paul. I mean, he's not the only one. But I, but I look at everything that he has accomplished, and I look at the position and ministry that he's held, and his humility just pours out. And yet, some, so many times, it's so easy. Like, being in vocational ministry is a great blessing. But sometimes... Week to week, month to month, 
it's very hard not to get wrapped up in like finding my value in who I am as a pastor. And I have to often be reminded, you are a child of God. That is your value. Whatever else you do, God may use, but you're no better, you're no worse than any other believer. My value is in Christ. Your value is in Christ. Your worth. There's a continual prayer request for me if you want to know how to pray for me week to week. But it's so important to address these identity idols in our life because God doesn't view you in relation to these things. He doesn't ultimately care what kind of job you have. He's not looking at you as whether you're a success in the eyes of your family based on this title that you have, based on how perfect you are or how well you do things in your life. As a Christian, God sees you for who you are in Christ. He doesn't see you for the grades you get, for whether you're married or you're single, for whether you have lots of kids or you can't have kids, for how well your kids behave or disobey. Whether you eat organic food or you drink soda and eat potato chips. That's not how God sees us. God sees us as who we are in Christ. As his precious child who he loves greatly. This morning, it's a simple challenge. But let Christ be your identity. Understand what Paul is saying, even in this very opening phrase that we think, well, who cares about this phrase? Paul's just identifying himself, yes, but we find great value in how he's identifying himself. When we identify with Christ, when he becomes our identity, it's then the gospel that it begins to shape who we are. Now, guess where our priority is going to be? It's going to be in the gospel, that we see it ourselves deepen in this message, that we see our church hold to this message and be growing in this message. And I'll close with this, this admonition. We must prioritize the gospel because it's the gospel that sets us free and makes us alive in Christ. Where's your identity this morning?